everybody. Welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast from KDC Shoal Presley Stadium, the newly renovated and spectacular home base now for the Florida Gators. It's BMO, Jimmy Softball, Smitty, Scarborough, and Salty, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> a.k.a. Tim Walton. Salty, though, from his playing days. Is there a good story, Coach, on how Salty came to be? For the former Oklahoma national champ? There, there, there may or may not be a story or two going around, so we'll, we'll leave that to uh, to my good friends back at Cerritos College. There you go. Okay. Predates OU to Cerritos College. Uh, Coach Walton is uh, kind enough to join us all day today for the podcast as we get set tonight for Florida and Florida State. Um, and I think, Tim, why don't you start out with what you love about the new place and, and what an experience it is to come here to watch the Gators play. Yeah, it, it, it's really hard to put one thing in place. Uh, for the players, I love the professionalism that we've created, just the ability to, to park their scooter or car, walk in the front door, and then you have everything at your fingertips from the uh, the media room to the training room to the equipment room to so many different things that I, I love about it. But um, the, the thing that, that really strikes me the most is when our players come out of the locker room, down the tunnel, and walk out and, and, and get a chance to see the, the view that they're going to get for that day. So it's, it's, a, it's a totally – you say renovated. To me, my wife says it best, this is, is not the same stadium at yeah. all, um, with the exception of the, the seats. Although they're chair back now, all, they're all in the same location as they were. Everything else is, is totally new and, uh, and exciting. So you missed the boat a little bit about the bathroom that's in the locker room. Oh. I think you took a lot of pride in making that bathroom that's in the locker room. So tell us, I mean, I think I want to know a little bit more about that. So when we initially started the, the design project, um, you, you hear as a coach, well, your administration's going to only get certain parts of input for you. I was involved in every single step along the way, and um, it was so fun to be able to see the ideas that the design team had from the architectural structures to so many things. So, um, and, and to be honest, with you, I'll, give, I'll give Jennifer Rocha credit for the bathroom. As we're going through, she says, you know, this is great, this is great. She goes, but when I picture this bathroom and the size of this bathroom, how do we get this to be like a spa-like treatment? Mm-hmm. And you walk in and now you go... Well, this is a spa-like treatment bathroom. And, uh, and again, they're not going to want to stay in there, right? They're still going to come out and play, right? No, they haven't come out and play yet. So. And my two cents on this is that it was amazing to be here last year and then show up for the first time this year. And it, it, the amount of construction that was done, and like you said, this is like a new stadium, um, and done timely. Because, <laughs> you know, construction doesn't always work that way. So yeah. the fact that... This was done in a timely manner, to me, is probably one of the most impressive parts of it. But stressful, because can you imagine beating Texas A&M to go to the College World Series and you're told you have to have all your stuff out of your locker, your equipment room, your training room, your... Nothing's going to be there when you get yeah. back. And so very stressful for our team to stay all night long, pack up all your stuff. The next day you're on a bus, you come back, and there's demolition on your stadium. Wow. So very stressful but still very rewarding at the same time. Yeah. We, we hear this all the time, Tim, from coaches, and, you, and you've been here a while now. It's one thing to get to the top. It's a whole other thing to stay at the top because if there's one constant, it's change, right? You mentioned Rocha. There will, there will be coaching changes. Obviously, your roster flips every four years. What is the challenge for for you and, and really any coaching staff with that constant change, what it takes to keep getting back to the mountaintop? Yeah, I'll always reference, you know, Urban Meyer, and, and Urban's a good friend of mine, and um, he's really 
given me some you know some some tracks along the way to help me maybe navigate some through some things that I just wouldn't probably envision coming about. Um, but it's you're in the same place, you go through the same routines, you have the same polls, so you become more accessible to more people. Your your fan base grows, your your alumni base grows, your recruiting base grows. There's so much things. So it's when you first start off, you you just have a small little you know circle, and now your circle grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So the demands really to be the softball coach at the University of Florida are a thousand times greater than they were in 2000 and you know and really in 2000 when I first really started coaching softball it's it's a totally different game it's a totally different uh, uh, poll the media polls the the scouting polls everything is so much different than it was when I first started the game doesn't mean it's better or worse it's just different and um, it, it is a lot harder to stay on top but again I, we're trying to figure out how to, how to get excited about winning and how to get excited about playing anybody. But everybody we play, no matter when we play them, they're always excited to whether it be a close game, whether it be a game that they they beat us in. So we're we're every stadium we've been to in the past five years, we've set the new attendance record for for their stadium. It doesn't matter where we're at, and um, and I, I take a lot of pride in that. That's fun yeah. for for people to come out and see us play, and also it's always you know they're always good games. Um, but it's a lot different. It's a, it's a different it's a different taxing feeling when you're climbing the mountain. You know, you get to the top, and there's you know there's some some jubilation that goes in with that. But once you get there and sustaining that, it's it is it is, it is different. Yeah. All right, we are uh, we're on the seven innings podcast right now. Scarborough, Smitty, Bemo, Jimmy, Salty, uh, and Jersey Megan Vegas Vicky are also here, um, and we hope you're following along on your lineup card at Seven Innings Podcast. Uh, number two on the lineup card is uh, Arizona with a dominating performance over Arizona State. Vegas, Vicky, by the way, was way off on the over-under of 12 home runs. They actually hit six combined and three shutout wins for the Arizona pitching. Sidebar, Salty beat both Arizona and Michigan, the two winningest coaches in the game earlier this year. So uh, Coach Walton is, is uh, good to jump in on this. But what impressed you about the Arizona performance um, and, and a really dominating show against ASU? I think that, you know, you knew coming into it there would be a lot of runs scored, but I don't think that I expected it to just be one-sided. So when you think about why, it was the fact that Taylor McQuillan and Alyssa Denham did such a good job against the Arizona State lineup. Mm-hmm. Taylor McQuillan, with the way that she took the ball on Friday night, she was nasty. She was thrown on both sides of the plate, but what stuck out to me the most was her ability to change speeds with her a, an off-speed drop-like pitch that moved down and also kind of a... I don't, you guys are going to laugh at this, but like a humpy changeup too that had a little bit of curve to it. So the way that they threw and shut them down and and props to the pitch calling of Taryn Moet, I was blown away by the pitching staff for Arizona. I I agree, Amanda. And I think that um, her ability to locate the pitch, she's walked only 25 batters all year long. So McQuillan, I feel like is really reaching her stride. I think the pitch calling outstanding as well. I have to say, coming into this series, I thought for sure that ASU, it's the desert, that ASU is going to hit some more long balls because one through nine, they have more home run hitters in their lineup than Arizona that's got the big three way off on that one. So they're shut out. So you never really know until the game's over what you're going to get. Well, I think the biggest key to me is that you, you, you have to look at what Arizona has done in their preseason scheduling. Yeah. One of the best schedules in the country. They've played everywhere from, from Tampa, Florida to back at home. Uh, they've been on the road a lot more this year and played a tougher schedule maybe than they potentially have in the past. And yeah. for that, they're being rewarded with um, you know, a top 10 team and um, being able to perform in big games and in big rivalry moments. Yeah. I think they're 9-0 and to start out right now in the Pac-12. 
Um, do, do you get a chance uh, to be a fan of the game, whether it's softball or now that baseball has uh, started in, in the major leagues or, or even here at Florida, um, to be a fan? Or do you basically just have to stay focused on who, who's right in front of us? Well, I think that's the when you talk about sustaining success. If you're just focused on you know keeping you know one foot in front of the other in, in what you do, you're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna fizz out pretty quickly. And uh, I do a lot of things. Having kids is really what keeps me fresh and keeps me going. My own kids, my sons, both love baseball. My my daughter loves you know she loves Duke basketball. She watches basketball. And oh, heartache last she, week. She 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 yeah. said, "Don't talk about it. We don't oh, talk about yeah. that." So, but 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 having kids and and being around young people all the time that's what keeps you fresh and keeps you going and uh, I, I do I'm not as big of a fan of softball I, I'll be honest with you because I, I find myself um, you know starting to analyze and being a little critical of the game and you know doing this and doing that and but I do like baseball I do I love college basketball um, and I love college football those are the things that I could say I I'm really passionate about being a fan and, and really just watching the the teams um, you know climb the mountain can we get an update on your uh, one of your favorite pitchers? How's how's Brooks doing at Santa Fe? Uh, he said his ERA in March was terrible. So, oh. but the one thing that they do when they when, and this is every team you go to a conference and you drop down from a rotation. So they went from a five man rotation down to a two a three man rotation. So he went to the bullpen. He's never pitched in the bullpen, and, and really to be honest with you, he hasn't been very good in the bullpen. Um, as a starter this year, he's been really good. But as a reliever, he he doesn't have the history and doesn't doesn't know how to get himself ready. Apparently, because he's not pitching very well out of the pen. <laughs> well, he actually, you know, we encourage our our uh, fans to send us in tweets. Uh, so we do have a uh, a tweet from Brooks. It said, "What's up, Dad?" Uh, that was liked by your wife, who says she's the mother of three of the best crazies around. So, <laughs> and they are, and, and again, for every. For every person doing anything, you have to have a good support team, and, and I have the best. Uh, they get it, you know. They they'll, they'll they'll come down to the dugout after wins and high five and say, you know, hey, what's up, pops? In a lot of ways, but yeah. and then if I'm driving them home from the game, they won't talk to me at all if we lose. So they they completely get it. And my wife is, I mean, she's the best. She she gets them where they're supposed to be and keeps them organized, and uh, she does a, she does a great job. So same, same parent props, no matter who. Doesn't you are, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're with Salty, a.k.a. Tim Walton, um, and uh, he's been uh, gracious enough to join us on the podcast this week. Let's move down the lineup card. Tennessee and Auburn, one of the big series this week, and we can also get into how parity is changing the game and, and the depth not only of the conference but around the nation. Uh, Tennessee with a third pitcher now, and Auburn continues to be sort of the dark mystery team that, that – is under the radar a little bit. Uh, that may change this week with a huge series against the Lady Vols. Well, with the Vols, you mentioned it. Ashley Rogers, freshman, she's got a 100 innings pitch, which is more than Maddie Moss and Kaylin Arnold. So she's really come in and proving herself. A little unknown because she hasn't thrown against these programs. Uh, so I think her opposing hitters are trying to figure out. On the flip side, you have Auburn. This is a team that is a tough out. They've got more walks than strikeouts. So that right there tells me if you're facing them as a pitcher, you know that every – athlete that gets in that box is it's going to be a battle and they're going to they're going to take their pitches they're going to foul pitches off they're going to do something um to make something happen a 335 batting average so they're they're fun to watch this is going to be a really good series 30 and 7 for auburn 28 and 6 tennessee it's going to be a great matchup well as always we write down the same stats 
Ashley Rogers thrown 100 innings, which it's crazy to me that she has hit that 100 innings mark, but how it goes down is Maddie Moss thrown 65 innings and Kaylin Arnold thrown 45, but I feel like we're at that time of year where you're really starting to figure out how a coach is going to handle a three-game series, who's going to start, who's going to come in relief, who can they really rely on when... Uh, when the pressure gets the highest. So to me, that's sticking on, not just with Tennessee or, or Auburn, but I think all across the country, you're really looking at how a coach is going to handle a three-game series. But uh, with Casey McCracken and Kendall Beach, I mean, what years have they're having plus Michaela yeah. Martin? So I think of Auburn, uh, in addition to what you said, just a really strong senior class that I think wants to go out with a bang. Yeah, Beach top five right now in the league in home runs and RBIs. And then uh, on the other side, Leach and Sager, both hitting better than 400 and um, it, it's become a challenge, as you know, Tim, week in and week out now in the SEC to try and take two out of three in, in, a, in, a, uh, in a conference series. It's, it's tough. And, you know, I get uh, – Rodgers was tough against us. She, she – you know, and, and her and Kaylin Arnold are very similar in stature, similar in stuff. They both uh, throw the same kind of pitches, array of pitches. I think the biggest difference is location. When we faced Rodgers and went back, especially on film – and she didn't make one mistake. Everything was on the edge. Everything was on the corner. Changed speeds when she needed to and behind in the counts at times. Um, and then having the Maddie Moss in there late in the game potentially to change the look and go down and go hard and the wind-up is a little, little funky, makes things tough on batters. There's, there's, a, there's some matchup issues potentially there. And, um, you know, and then when you mentioned the three from Auburn, it's like, how long have they been there at Auburn? You know, yeah. they've been major contributors since they stepped on campus, and um, they've 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 all done well. But I, I think everybody in this league, as you talked about the parity, everybody in this league and every team, it doesn't matter what their name is, yeah. everybody's got really good hitting, really good preparation, really good pitching staffs. But the key difference to me from from say let's say Florida now and 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 use Tennessee is is pitching. Yeah. The team that's going to pitch the well uses the staff the best. Um, and maybe maybe it's just one pitcher is just on fire, but I think the key is going to be pitching in this league. I remember talking to Mike Candre a few years ago, and he, you know, about what has changed. Why is it so hard to keep getting back to the World Series year in and year out? And he said a lot of it is TV and the data that is now available, not just to the big programs that can afford it, but to every other non-conference non-Power 5 school you're going to run into. They kind of know what's coming and know what to look for. You still got to execute, right? But uh, do you still see that? You see that parity now even more and more in your non-conference as well. Yeah, you know, and, and and that was one of the things that we we talked about when we were first initially going through the SEC network, and you know the different we were on the Sunshine Network and ESPN a couple times a year, and then we were on you know Fox or whatever we were out there on. At the end of the day, when the SEC network came about, now you're readily available information at all times at your fingertips on the on the on the digital on the TV. And it's, it's great for the game because it's really grown the popularity, but it does become a lot more difficult for coaches to prepare and teams to prepare because now everybody knows your weaknesses. Everybody, we always talk about, I tell the kids all the time, if you can't hit a changeup, just don't let the other team know you can't hit a changeup. Now, if you can't hit a changeup day one, week one, <laughs> yeah. you're on some kind of, they're showing replay of videos of, you know, and so at the end of the day, it, it does become a lot tougher to prepare and to continue to prepare from week to week to week because there are so much information out there. We, we use a ton of it and, and our opponents obviously uh, do the same. Well, it probably gives te- teams too confidence in going into a series against a bigger team like a Florida or even going up against a UCLA where you kind of won just the jersey battle right away going up against a mid-major team or maybe a lower ranked uh, just, you know, what do you call it on a mid-major team? 
Non-power five. Non-power five, yeah. But but now they can see, oh, Kendall and Amid, you know, she is human, or Amanda Lorenz is human. We see her get out. And not just that, but you also see what the pitchers are going to throw to you, so you're able to have that preparation and see other teams get hits off of those pitchers, which gives you confidence to go into a game and feel like you can beat a, a big-name program. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, let's move down the uh, lineup card. And um, Smitty and Scarborough are about to do something they've never done before in their Uh-oh. careers. That's toss up a big old meatball. Big old softball no, softball question to Salty coming. Michelle did that on Friday night, she said. Oh, her first pitch. Oh. And tossed up a meatball. She was really worried. Oh, was that an okay state? You went was. back and yeah. went back. Throughout the first pitch? Throughout the first pitch. Got it to the catcher. Right, right down the middle. Ooh. That's where it should be first. I remember that meatball she threw John Cruck on TV. Oh. It looked like a grapefruit to me. But. <laughs> the grapefruit was to Charles Barkley. But we're we're gonna we're gonna talk analytics right now, coach, and we know that is something near and dear to your heart and how you use it and how you would like to see it expand even more in softball the way it's really taken over major league baseball at this point. Yeah, and and to be quite honest, and I think there are a lot of coaches that are probably in the same uh, have the same feelings, is we don't know a lot of the analytics. We don't know the information that's out there. Uh, to be really good at analytics, you have to have somebody on your staff or maybe you have to hire somebody on your staff that has you know, that knowledge. We, I was very fortunate a few years ago. We had a kid come through here. Ronnie Socash is his name. He's now at Columbia working on his master's in, uh, in, in analytics. He worked for the Houston Astros and did some things in their, in their, in their front office. Um, he, he, I remember he, he definitely, yeah, Coach Trust. He, he definitely he met uh, Jess Mendoza at that analytics convention. I think it was out in Arizona, and you know he gave me some information different than I've ever seen. Using radar to produce different things on bat speeds and bat numbers and all the different things. And you know, and, and I've been introduced to the flight scope people quite a few times, uh, quite a few years ago. And um, to me, there's so many things that you can tell about a hitter and a pitcher. Um, and and an offense and a defense based upon the analytics. But the hard part is being able to figure out who on your staff or who has the ability and the time to sort through all the data. And what what data do you share with your players? What data do you share with your fans? What data do you share just with coaches or or those that know what they're they're doing? And I I think it would be very tough. I mean, I'd have a hard time potentially managing in the big leagues unless I had a really good grasp of that, because I'm sure the front office has given them a lot of data and a lot of information um, that, that is way above my pay grade. And that seems to be what the managerial hires now are in, in Major League Baseball. you got to have that background, or you got to be willing to allow all of that into your dugout and your, your clubhouse. What are, what are some specific ones that you feel like you look at most um, at practice? Yeah, so we've we've started, and I've been uh, we've used the bat sensors, and you know, Sue Inquist set me up with a with a company, uh, and then um, same thing with Bill Clark. Bill Clark used to be the uh, um, uh, the president of Louisville Slugger, and he's really wrapped into a lot of different things because of the bat sensors and things that they were going to do to track data um, in, in bat externally, internally, and so um, we've been I've been fortunate to do, use work with a lot of different companies, kind of on the on the ground level. Um, we've used we've been using Blast now, um, and the Blast system is really really good on uh, not only helping our players track the number of swings that they're getting, but also for them to be able to track um, certain bat speeds, uh, certain measure like. Uh, Eric Thomas on our staff really looks at and breaks out the spreadsheet every week on different things. But maybe one of our players is is really high in a metric or really low in a metric. 
what does that equate to? Are they tired? Um, are they are they, are they working a certain part of their body a little bit more than others? Um, what are they doing? Is there is, is the bat weight too? Is it, they're using too heavy of a bat? They're using too long of a bat? They're standing too close to the plate? You know, some things that you can really start to trend. I think that's the key for me is. Don't just tell me what you've done one time. Trend it out. Give me the trends of what it's going to look like because I think any one swing can look different than any, any, any uh, another swing depending on pitch location, pitch speed, and where you're at and what time of day you're hitting. So trend it out for me is important. Rapsodo, we've used a lot of Rapsodo stuff here um, uh, this year and, and really like the data. We haven't dove into the hitting stuff uh, a lot yet. But the things that I like about some of these things is you can take the batting cages and you can create a game-like situation in the batting cage where you can hit with this, see the distance travel, the ball flight, and you don't have to necessarily always be on the field. They can get the feedback. When you say, hey, you really hit that ball really well, and she goes, really, did I? Well, I hit the top of the net. Yeah, well, the top of the net's only 14 feet, and you're going to hit the top of the net if you hit a ball really well. But look on the computer. It said the ball traveled 265 feet, which tells me it went out of the ballpark. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do. But again, Going back to what we talked about, sustaining that mountain. If you're not a coach that's willing to make adjustments in your style and your learning style and your teaching style, you're going to get passed over pretty quickly in this game, especially now with the popularity and the, the financial resources that programs are putting into it. Yeah, and I love that real quick, Coach. What you're saying is, um, it's I think baseball and softball. A lot of it's experimentation. When you're pitching and you're working in the pen, are you, you're playing with your grips. Like, how do I get more cut, more movement? Do I throw a two seam? Do I throw a four seam? All those different things. The analytics are not telling you what's working and what's not. So it, it kind of makes you more efficient at that experimenting. Um, so you know what's working. Same thing with hitting. Like you feel like you're 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 flat through. Um, you know, keeping that barrel in the zone as long as possible, but maybe you're not. You know, it's all those things that you think you're doing, but you're not really. You know, you probably have coaches all the time. You're doing that. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're doing this. No, I'm not. And then you look at video. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's really as a coach and as an athlete, it's a lot of convincing yourself. But the numbers help. You know, tell you tell that story and where you should be working and where you shouldn't be. Working. And I think that's the maturity of athletes too, because some athletes can't take that they they don't want to be wrong they don't they 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 don't want to they don't even want to think about the things that go into their swings and so the trial by error that you're mentioning about you know trying different things and you know for for some you know throwing a four seam versus a two seam means more velocity less movement and you know vice versa so there's a lot of things that go into it and to me um, I think the most important part is that uh, the maturity of an athlete what can they handle you know what what prove prove it to me you know and I say that to me and I'm I'm equally as guilty we're all managed by time. The time management that you have to go into a day with an athlete and in a, in a, in a large team, it's really hard to dive into the numbers for each and every one of the things that you're trying to get to. So to me, time management and staff size is, is really the, the hardest thing to, to figure out how to how to implement you know the, the, the different uh, technologies and the different data pieces. And I think part of it, too, is how, how, what... You, like you mentioned, some sometimes you just have to hear another voice or see it from a different. Like we, over the years, occasionally we'll get a coach. Hey, would you guys say on the air that so and so is doing this? She just doesn't. She doesn't trust. Us. We need a second opinion on this so we can show it to her. I think video and, and analytics probably can do the same thing for a coaching staff. Say, hey, I, don't listen to me. Check this, and then that's a reinforcement to okay. All right, I get you. Well, and I think one of the cool things about a lot of the different analytical pieces is, you know, everybody wants to analyze good. Like, oh, all right, well, show me what, you know, what Mike Trout looks like. Show me what so-and-so looks like. Mike Trout's DNA and so-and-so's DNA may be totally different. Their swing, their strength, their size, their, their levers. Yeah. 
I always like to say, show me what a bad swing looks like. You know, break down a bad swing. Break down something that doesn't look right because that's probably going to be more relatable to more people than what yeah. the goods are yes. always doing. So I think you need to take the good and the bad and analyze them both equally. And I think that's where progress starts to come in play. And I think so. in this day and age, too, social media... It, it's a bad thing for a lot for younger kids now to fail. Well, that we've all failed, and that's helped us immensely. Show me what I'm weak at, so I can turn it into a strength. And I, I think that that is something that more and more um, that the younger players that do get that and embrace the fact that I'm not the best yet, but I can get there, is a huge step. If you want a bad swing, after we're done here, we can go down in the in the cages. I'll swing Jimmy, it for you. Jimmy, softball time in. <laughs> Bad swing king of the world. Hey, we need ditch diggers and uh, iPod producers, uh, iPad by podcast producers too, Jimmy. Maybe I can talk English. Hey, uh, Jimmy Softball, BMO, Scarborough, Smitty, Salty. Um, we're here at uh, Katie Seashole Presley Stadium, which I'd like to rename the nickname Walton Mountain. Can we get that done? <laughs> Walton Mountain, trying to stay on top. Uh, let's move down our, our uh, lineup card, but before we do, so far, We've gotten in an Urban Meyer reference. We've heard the phrase, humpy chain, <laughs> and get yourself an Ivy Leaguer so you can trend it out. All good things so far on the podcast. Um, Salty, uh, the other big thing, Tim Walton, has been the transfers, obviously, that are, that are going around. You've picked up a really good one in Kendall Lindemann. We're seeing uh, you know, Sanchez at LSU, Juarez at Oklahoma. It's part of the landscape now. How does that impact the coaching staff? in terms of um, bringing, not only bringing those players into your team, but keeping an eye out for possible future transfers, as well as keeping an eye on your own team, trying to keep everybody happy, right? Yeah, no, there's a, the, the, that was like a, a its own podcast in itself question. <laughs> that could be a total there was out. A, there was a lot of pieces there, but you know, and, and I know a lot of the major, you know, the, the what is there, 120 um, major college football teams, and uh, the really, really, really good ones have staffs that are are looking at the, they're tracking you know grad potential transfers and things like that. And I know we haven't gotten to that part in our sport yet, um, but I, I think the overall, I think transferring for certain reasons, is, is a good thing. I mean, you, you don't want to limit what a kid has an opportunity. You, again, coaches can leave when they want to leave. Coaches can go anywhere they want to go. So you give the kids. I just think that there should be, you know, there should be parameters. There needs to be parameters in place. Again, I'm, I'm very fortunate. We have one of the best transfers in the entire country, maybe ever. Um, and, and the situation was unique. And I think every situation is going to be unique for those kids. Um, we have Jade Caraway is batting leadoff for us. Is also a transfer, um, and I haven't had a whole lot. I mean, if I, I think in the history of coaching, I, I've maybe had six, maybe. Um, I haven't had a ton, um, but I think it's unique, and I think every situation is unique, and uh, um, I think that that part of it. But but I'm also an advocate of of hard work, and I'm also an advocate of doing it the right way and doing the right thing. And I've always been that way. And, um, you know, again, I had conversations with the coaches of any kids that have transferred to my program. I've, I've talked to those coaches and, you know, told them that these conversations are going to happen. And this is kid, kid has reached out to me. Um, so I think it's just got to be done the right way. And, I, I, again, it doesn't matter if you're looking at youth sports, college sports, professional sports. I mean, I've seen all the, you know, the, everybody has their own agendas in certain ways that, that's going on. And, and people around 
those kids, professionals, have their own agendas going on too. So um, you have to be, you have to really, really protect, not only protect yourself and your program, but I'm also more concerned about the kid and um, the integrity of the game as well. I think it's really important to make sure it's done the right way. Hey, I agree. I think the parameters, Coach, is for me what it's all about because I feel like the athletes need to be able to go where they're going to be happy and, and, and they're going to fit and, and excel. But I, my biggest issue is when you leave a team in the fall and then you can show up to someone else's campus and then play. I think that's the hardest part because, let's face it, especially for pitchers, you can't just go out to the University of Florida somewhere and pull a pitcher out that can help you. And so when you lose, or or the same thing for bigs and women's basketball, you can't go just find a six-foot-six center on yeah. campus somewhere. So those specialized positions, I think it really hurts a team when they transfer away. Obviously, it's a huge pickup when they come into a program, but I would like to see once the school year starts – um, maybe the, maybe they just are not eligible to then play that same season. I don't know, just some sort of something, some parameters set down so that when a kid leaves a team, that team um, is obviously going to be decimated, but they can't just uh, you know show up to someone else and help them out in that same exact year. So yeah, I, I agree completely. But and, and we talk a lot about the solution for it or what we would do. But I think it's interesting too for the people who listen to our podcast. So we can talk about oh do this, do this, but how would it work? So after this year, what is the next step to be able to have a change? to the transfer process. Can you speak to that? Well, I think that that's what the, that's what the recruiting rules have been in place with that the coaches are concerned. Again, Tim Walton is concerned about the early recruiting and, and kids making choices, you know, way – or kids or parents making choices way earlier than they probably should, but did, which then could impact the, the transfers and all the other things that go into that. So I think that there are a lot of places – there are a lot of things in place that the um, – that the Division One coaches, that the NCAA is putting in place, the Student Athlete Experience Committee is putting in place. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things that could impact uh, all sports in a positive way, at least from you know from a, a small sample size of the student athletes. So, I think that uh, again, I and and mind you, this is very popular this 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 year. Yeah. But kids have transferred in the middle of the year mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we play, I coached at Oklahoma. We had a kid at Oklahoma that transferred to Texas and played against Oklahoma when I was at Oklahoma. So, and so at the end of the day, I played with a kid who transferred from, from Texas to Oklahoma to pit. So this is not something brand new. It's just now the popularity's grown and it's a little bit more advertised and some of the names on the list are a little bit um, you know, bigger than ever. But again, every situation's unique and um, you'd, hate to, you'd hate to handcuff a situation. But I think that there definitely should be um, again, start the year w- w- one place. Then, if you choose to go somewhere else, yeah, you, you probably should have to sit out and uh, wait until next year to be able to play and not lose any eligibility and right. you know, get your fifth year and all the other exactly. stuff that goes yes. with that. I think exactly. I think that that would definitely protect the program that you're leaving, mm-hmm. but also protect the integrity of the game and, and any other kid who's who's contemplating those same thoughts. Yes. Yeah, I can't fault that, especially for the smaller schools to the bigger schools. I can't fault the mm-hmm. kid who says, you know what. Either I've improved a lot in a year or two, or it's in my DNA. I've got to challenge myself and see if I can play against the best. So I, I think absolutely all fans are kind of rooting deep down for those guys to be able to succeed when they make that big leap up. Uh, this is the Seven Innings Podcast. We want to remind you that Julie Foudy has a new podcast called Laughter Permitted. And if you know anything about Julie or spent some time with her, there is plenty of laughter and this week's episode should be fabulous because she has her uh, her old friend Mia Hamm, 
The legendary uh, so- uh, soccer star Mia Hamm is on Julie Foudy's podcast. Loudy Foudy. This week, Loudy Foudy. <laughs> so, I'm in Gainesville talking to the quarterback club uh, last fall, deep in the middle of the football season. Name dropper. <laughs> Name dropper. Uh, and uh, we do a Q&A at the end, and one of the first questions I get is, hand goes up, older gentleman, when are we going to get instant replay in softball after that Florida uh, uh, UCLA debacle last year? And I'm like, okay, game on. Here we go. Um, so obviously there have been some issues the last several World Series at, um, in terms of the use of instant replay. We have a very um, special situation right now. Uh, Jersey Meg, in her contract, has one opportunity each year to come on the show. And this is it. Uh, from the TV perspective, and then we'll bring Coach Walton in, and from a coach and fan perspective, because it looks like baseball, right, Meg? The NCAA is expanding the use of instant replay in the baseball postseason. What, what's it going to take for softball to get that? Because we are going to see it right at the SEC tournament this year. We are. And uh, first of all, I just want to say how kind it is to let you, to have you allow me to come on the podcast. I mean, it, it really is. <laughs> Took a lot. I'm Normally I'm just <laughs> awkwardly sitting in the back of the room nodding my head as you make up lies about things that I'm saying. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think, first of all, I just want to say that there, there's a, a common misnomer that ESPN or television is responsible for the lack of instant replay or the prevention of instant replay in softball. I think softball, in my opinion, as a group, has wisely taken their time to figure out and watch other sports uh, bring instant replay into the fold and see how that develops and how it affects the course of the game. I use college volleyball as a prime example. Instant replay is still something in volleyball that they're trying to work through. The challenge system in volleyball, it extends the game pretty significantly. The length of the game, Tim has heard me talk at length about the length of the game and softball and viewership and keeping people engaged. Um, Meg Aronowitz, Jersey Meg, sometimes doubling as Vegas Vicky, uh, <laughs> does believe Proof. That, that this sport, that our sport, deserves instant replay. Um, but what I will caution and what I have cautioned the coaches many times to say is understand how instant replay works, how you uh, implement it, where the technology comes from, what the cost to your administration, your sport, your video production facilities are when you uh, bring instant replay to the fold. I assure you, softball fans, that it is not as simple as this game tonight is on television, therefore there would be an opportunity for instant replay. That is not, in fact, the case. That's not how it works. The infrastructure is significantly costly. Um, And frankly, the arbiter of the television broadcast should not be responsible for being the arbiter of instant replay because, God forbid, ESPN were to provide replays that overturned that game against UCLA or not. Now, can you see? imagine the headlines in the paper? ESPN proves that the umpires got it wrong, right? That's not how how replay is supposed to work. That's not how it works in MLB. That's not how it works in the NBA. Uh, in the NFL, they all have uh, centralized replay now, and you see the Southeastern Conference. I applaud them for bringing replay to the tournament. It's going to give us the opportunity to see what it does to the game. How does it change it? Does it change outcomes? Does it change the length of the game? Does it change the way umpires call the game? And frankly, I just want to say I applaud the NCAA for implementing four umpires in the postseason. Four is big. Because four is big. I think what the NCAA is saying is, hang on, just one second. 
let's just put four umpires out there on the field and see if it makes a difference in how we call the game and how we manage the game and see if we can do it the way officiating was supposed to be. Remember, back in the day, there was no such thing as having the ability to go to centralized replay or look at a video or so on and so forth. So I would say that the game of softball deserves every opportunity. Oh, I talk with my hands. Sorry, podcast listeners. The game of softball deserves every opportunity to get it right. The fans deserve every opportunity to get it right. We have one heck of a matchup tonight that these games always come down to the last inning. I can't wait, right? I'm sure Tim is like... Florida, Florida State. (laughs) Uh, But... I'm sure that there's going to be a moment in the game tonight or any game this season where we're going to say, boy, if we had replay, then we would have gotten that right. And we're going to show it on television time and time again. But what I will say is the cost to the administrations, the cost to the video production facilities at the schools, and let's not forget, folks, that there are over 300 Division One softball teams. Not everybody has facilities like the University of Florida, like the Southeastern Conference, like the Autonomy Five conferences. So when you get to North Dakota State or when you're out west or when you're uh, looking at some of these uh, mid-major, low-major programs that don't necessarily have the ability to do it or have a one-camera stream for all their games, what are you doing to those programs? Because when you implement this rule, you implement it across the board. Note to self, we need a time limit on the instant replay like we do on Jersey Meg's soliloquy. But let's bring uh, the other folks into the uh, conversation. And um, and how we think it's going to impact the sport. Because it's going to come eventually, right? We have the technology to do it. And if there are limitations or certain plays we want it involved in or how it's all going to come to be. Well, I think that there's so many layers to instant replay that makes things a little bit more difficult than than just, hey, let's put it on and replay it. So emotionally, I think that's that's really where everybody gets tied in, and emotionally they everybody wants it to be right. But when it's your team that doesn't get the call, you emotionally get it. We need replay. We need this. We need yeah. that. And uh, I, I'm actually a, a little bit more of an old-school person that I, I don't know that replay is the best all the time. There is some human element that you really – kind of enjoy at times um i'm not saying that i enjoy you know when, when when umpires get it wrong or when when i get it wrong and they get it right i don't know that i always you know you enjoy those things but i think at the end of the day um uh the the, the replay system is very difficult and um there's a lot of things that'll be difficult for umpires is really difficult it might not be for umpires is very difficult at a super regional or very difficult at the college world series because nobody else is umpiring at that time. Yeah. But it may be really difficult to do in the middle of the week somewhere mm-hmm. and to find four quality umpires that can officiate the game unbiasedly and do a great job. That's going to be difficult and very costly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, as a coach myself, I don't care which way we go, how we go. We just want it to get – we want it to be right. We want it to be done correctly. And, um, you know, again, um, we're fortunate. I mean, we've got we've got set up. We've already expanded for, for the replay adjustments that we're going to make here at Florida. Where's the monitor going to go when the umpires have to come over to review the monitor? We'll have it all set. We're ready to go for it. Um, and, and I think that's what the SEC stands for as well, is to try to be a little bit ahead of potential problems in the game that maybe we can help try them out and see if there's a solution. And the final piece is this, is, is the rule cycle. So... You can't just all of a sudden decide you're going to do something in the game and change the rules of the game if you're not in a rule cycle year. There's some there's some financial 
things that go into that. So I think the NCAA has it right where I think we go every two years within a rule cycle where last year was the first year of the second. I would be very surprised if next year there isn't some type of a replay potential yeah. in the rule book next year. And so that's things that most people don't – you just, just do it, NCAA. Put it in there. Well, there's layers of protection. You just don't want to get it wrong and then have to back up you know, and, and try to get it right again. So I, I do also applaud – um, the NCAA and softball for not jumping in emotionally because maybe some umpires have missed some calls here over the last couple of years. Um, I don't think that that really. I think that would impact the game in a, in more of a negative way. Yeah, I agree. It's all about even with the transfers. It's parameters with replay. It's the parameters. What's the time look like? Pace of play, especially on televised games. We don't want oh this is delayed delayed and they're turning the channel. That's not good for the game either. And agree a hundred percent. Even going to that fourth umpire, it makes total sense in the postseason. But in the regular season, four umpires. That's the thing. It's like you start to ask the question. Then what's worse when you have to go to a fourth umpire that maybe isn't qualified at a certain level, and then they're not making the right call. So you're back in a position where you want the right call, but now you're, you're not getting it. So, and, and I have played in games where we have won on bad calls and we've lost on bad calls. So I think we've, we've all been in that position where it goes for you and against you. And um, I like the fact, like you said, the SEC is a leader in trying to see, is this going to work, is it not going to work before we just dive, dive head in? I think I'm like you. I like the old school, yeah. just the human element to it. I think it makes watching a game fun. Um, so, but you also have to change with the times a little bit too, and technology is also changing drastically with phones and apps and social media, and just everything's going crazy. But I, I do like the old school element to it. I, I mean, could you see Major League Baseball with you know, not even a home plate umpire, like just beep, yeah. or strike? Oh. You know what I mean? Oh. Like I mean, and, and that's probably gone. Uh, that. You can do it. You I, I, I can do it. But, now? but then the, yeah. the, the the catcher, pitcher, yeah. umpire, batter. Coach relationship. There wouldn't be any more fun. Wow. There was no more grenades. Who no, we have no, to boo at? Who are you even yelling? No more Wally Backmans. No more. <laughs> Come on. I can't imagine. That sounds awful. It sounds like a video game. Yeah. No. Be I would be very surprised if the game of softball does not adopt replay in the near future. It is a rules change year. I would imagine this is going to be a huge point of discussion at the NFCA convention uh, in Atlantic City this December. So um, I would be very surprised. And I think the SEC tournament is going to be very telling this Ooh, yeah. May, which you can watch every game on the ESPN family of networks in May. So we'll see you there. Is there a game out there that's faster in regards to not necessarily between pitches, but by the time the ball is by, by the time the action starts, is there a game that's faster? I mean, for, for, for three people to have to make a decision, the five people on the infield, yeah. it's it's so fast. It's a split second decision to make. It's, and that's the one thing I love about it. It's so fast. It's easy to get things right or wrong, and it's it, it's easy to guess whether or not somebody was safer out just by the pace sometimes. And so, to answer that question and contradict myself a little bit. There probably needs to be something in there but with parameters, but it is so fast. I can't fault somebody for, for, for trying to watch a ball go here and go here. And it's so fast. Yeah. 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 Speed not only kills, but speed thrills. And never <laughs> slumps. Uh, write that down. Um, that's, a let's, that's a T-shirt. Let's move on to uh, – well, I think it's time, Jimmy, for uh, one of our favorite segments of the program. This week on Shaggin' Stats. Here's my shagging stats. I love on-base percentage. I love when these people get on base and, and make things happen. So there are three. Hold on, hold on. Announcer voice. 
It's time for shagging stats. Um, <laughs> three players presently in the NCAA with an OB of over 600. We talked about how this is a game of failure, right? They're getting on base six out of ten times. Fabulous for Courtney Cashman at UMass Lowell, Amanda Sanchez, uh, your all-Amanda team at LSU, and Abby Cheek from Kentucky. So a couple of SEC players in my shagging stats with Cashman from U at UMass Lowell. Well, you know, uh, Jersey Meg here is a D3 girl, so i got to go D3. I can't, uh, I can't live in the D1 world. Uh, Christopher Newport, number one in the nation right now, D3. Grace Wild from Christopher Newport hitting 509. She is, uh, she's got 11 home runs. I'm sorry, she's got 12 RBIs. Her slugging percentage is 818, and she's 11 for 11 in stolen base attempts. Getting it done at the D3 level, Grace Wild, Christopher Newport, number one team in the country. Okay, well, because it's SEC versus ACC tonight, I'm going to the ACC second-year program, Duke. Got their first ACC series sweep on the road versus Georgia Tech. And it would be so much fun to be a part of this program because you have the opportunity to set so many records, right? So they set program records for runs. They scored 28 runs in three games, 41 hits, program records, six home runs, and 20. 20- Six RBI all-program records for Duke. Pretty cool. Awesome, awesome. I'm going to jump in and uh, go to the mid-majors and talk about JMU's Megan Good. She was great last week. Uh, She was 2-0, 16 innings pitched. Um, She gave up just three hits. Opponent batting average, a 0-5-9. So a tough day to be in the box against her. 17 strikeouts on Sunday. That is a school record beating uh, Jalen Fords of uh, 16. So really great week for Decent, Decent weekend. All right. That's pretty good, but for my Shane Stat, <laughs> I'm going with Morgan Gino from Ohio. She's uh, she's second in the NCAA in RBIs with 53 and RBI per game with 1.51. Coach, you got something? Ooh. I do. Uh, my shagging stat would be that. Uh, do I need an announcer voice? Like, so my <laughs> shagging stat would be. I want salty oh, shagging you don't stat. want salty stat. No, no, no. You don't want his. Oh, you don't want his voice. You can have a stat. Um, we, the num- two, the number of Gators that will be selected to the Lowe's. Oh, I don't think it's Lowe's anymore. The Senior Class Award. Homer. Uh, Homer. Uh-huh. We've got uh, uh, Amanda Lorenz and Kelly Barnhill. Class right. celebrating loyalty and achievement for staying in school. There it is. Ooh. Nice. Oh, great segment of shagging stats. That was Hollywood be proud. Stats. Yes. That was shagging stats. Hey, it's Scarborough, BMO, uh, Salty is with us, Tim Walton, Smitty's here, Jersey Meg is here, No Vegas Vicky this week, um, and and also our guy, James Softball. Time for Give Me Some Jimmy. All right, I get to ask you guys questions all the time, but since we have... Uh, Coach here, I'm going to ask him a couple. Okay. We've already mentioned uh, your your baseball background. So my question is, what's your favorite baseball movie? Mm, favorite baseball movie. You know what? <laughs> I like Tom Selleck and Mr. Baseball. <laughs> that's, off the, that's off the grid. I like the shoot like That's my favorite pitch. Love that movie. Did you ever have a uh, Tom Selleck mustache as he? Uh, um, I don't up think it would have been called Tom Selleck mustache. A Magnum PI mustache. Yeah, we're, no, my mustache would not have been called Tom Selleck. <laughs> it was not not good. I mean, we all had the rally stash every once in a while, but not good. Not like not like the the ultimate Tom Selleck. That was the one of the best, oh, ever. best ever. But Salty has facial hair. Salty has. Yeah, to have yeah. Go yeah. Sideburns. Well, yeah, there's yeah, something yeah, there. Something. Something. Do you guys have a favorite baseball movie? Uh, I go Bull Durham. I like it around. Sandlot. Oh, Sandlot. Nice. Nice. Killing nice. me, Smalls. 
All right, one wait, more for Coach. Wait, and I've wait. asked. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I've always ignored. I pay for this podcast. <laughs> and I've always ignored. Okay. I don't understand. Checkbook gets her a favorite movie. I, I love them all, but whenever it's on, I can't. I always have to stop and watch. I always hit the table. The uh, for love of the game. I don't know why. I just can't. Yeah. Clear the mechanism. Nobody, is this not America? <laughs> no Field of Dreams. I love Nobody, Field of Dreams. No Major League. It's on the list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on the list. All right. So one more question, and I've asked Michelle this before. Uh, and this is going to be a tough one because, uh, you know, I'll have to have the beat button ready, I'm assuming. Uh, what's the worst thing you've ever said to an album? Oh, <laughs> gosh. I, I, Smitty used a swear word so, one time, just I, to let you know. In Japanese. In Japanese, I have to bleep it out. I got a memo the other week, uh, a couple weeks ago, from the SEC about publicly criticizing umpires and officials, which were not allowed, nor our players. So we go through a 20-minute dialogue with all of our players about the things they can and can't do. Um, so... I actually, you know what? This did not get me kicked out, but I did this one time. We were playing, actually, the ESPN covered uh, SEC tournament. I won't mention the game, but it was covered by the SEC. And we had a girl slide in at the plate, and of course, I thought she was safe. And the umpire called her out, and, and he, he, he knocked her out pretty, pretty convincingly. And I, I don't, she wasn't, she's still safe. Um, and I ran out there to the plate and argued and, and argued pretty well and slapped my hand on the on the home plate. I didn't have a hat on or anything by that point in time. Slapped my hand on the home plate and I showed him where she tagged her. So um, I'm going to just go with that one to stay within our league uh, league rules. Isn't that Lit. Sam's avatar picture it is. on Twitter? It is. Oh, <laughs> nice. Nice. It is. Oh, classic. I, I, think we end, I think we end it with a, an email or a uh, tweet actually that we got at, the, at Seven Innings Podcast. We love having your questions. From uh, Whitney May, whose daughter is just starting to play the game. And uh, she wants to know uh, from us and from you, Coach, what made you fall in love with softball? What are, what are your early memories of the game? Who wants to start that one? Um, I don't know if this made me fall in love with it, but it's one of my earliest memories is that at my first tryout, so I think this was just for, like, Coach Pitch, but it was a league. They are trying to decide, okay, you're going to go here, you're going to go here. Um, we were running bases, and so I was – six seven years old and rounded first headed for second and just kept running into left field had no idea you just need to you know make another left turn keep going um so i i just i love that part about like just learning the game and just had no idea you just run into left field but that's one of my earliest memories uh for me it was playing touch with my dad my dad would come home from work and before he even got out of the truck i just throwing his glove into the truck and he got out and we would we would play catch, and I think it was just the fundamentals, the challenge of trying to throw it to them and not overthrow them when you're young yeah. and developing. And so I think it was the, the family relationship. Well, I, I'll give you the coaching perspective to me. I won't go to any of my early memories, um, but I'll say that don't believe the hype that kids burn out. I don't think kids burn out. I think people burn out no matter what they're doing, but if they love it, if it's passion – if it's something that they truly love to do, you can't burn that kid out. Yeah. Practice more than you play. Yeah. I love that. That's love so that. good. Me too. Good. Yeah. I don't know if we can, can we top that? No, we can't. I think you can top that. You can't top that. I love that. That's good. That was awesome. And also, I remember back in the day just... It, whenever you won, you got to go get fast food. With all your friends. Oh, yeah. Big dip is where yeah. we went in North Syracuse, New York. Big dip. Uh, <laughs> salty. Coach Tim Walton, thank you so much for uh, Thanks taking for having time. me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to um, uh, the uh, the new and improved KDC Shoal Presley Stadium, uh, a.k.a. Walton Mountain, uh, for Florida, Florida State. Tonight. We also call it KSP. KSP. 
Right. Isn't Walton Mountain like a TV show, like part of a TV show, though? Isn't that like That's right in our demographic of okay. the over 55 crowd that grew up watching the Walton. Should we go <laughs> off the air? John Boy. One of my yeah, other, John, John Boy was one of my other it. nicknames that people would say oh. to me a lot. Why wouldn't they when I was growing up? Of course. Hey. Oh, I didn't realize I touched a sensitive area. We will see you on the road to the Women's College World Series on the Seven Innings Podcast. Good night, John Boy. <laughs> Woo!